Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there. Ever dream of making your own podcast? Let me tell you a little bit about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. First, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Why Are You Like This, a podcast devoted to finding out who we are and why we do the things we do. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews, and I cannot contain how excited I am to introduce you to our guest. Today's guest once had a contest with me to see who could cry more while performing our musical comedy. She is a performer, an activist, a gardener, and a queer fashion icon. Please welcome to the mic, Danielle Purdy! (laughs) Wow. Hey, how have you been? Uh, um, I don't even know how to answer that question. <laughs> um, how have I been? I've been okay. Um, I just got back from being in Oregon for almost a month, um, helping take care of my dad. So, yeah, now I'm just back quarantining in Brooklyn. Some would say it's just a bigger Portland. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> but better, but better. What, like significantly better. Danielle, one of the things I love about you is I feel like you've somehow managed to live like 27 lives. <laughs> so let's just start at the beginning and noodle around because I find you fascinating. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Did you grow up in Oregon? Yes. Uh, in Salem. Um, about an hour south of Portland. All of my family still lives there. All of my siblings, my parents, grandparents, cousins, everybody still lives there. Yeah. You guys like run the town of Salem. Yeah. Yeah. It's just us. It's just us there. 
And what was growing up like? Did you always know you were like a creative and a funky free person or did that take some time? Um, I mean, I always knew I loved music. Um, I, I don't know that I would have described myself as a creative person until much later. Um, I, my older sister is nine years older than me and she is also a singer. And so I grew up singing with her and fell in love with music and fell in love with singing. Um, so that was always something, but I didn't necessarily equate that with being creative because I just, it just felt like something that, um, it didn't feel like anything that I was like working hard to do, if that makes any sense. Like I wasn't create, I didn't feel like I was actually creating anything. I was just singing other people's music and I grew up in the church. So I was singing specifically like church music, um, and not, not, hymns and beautiful church music but uh, contemporary 90s christian music which is just its own special thing <laughs> like our god is an awesome god yeah you know actually that song was like on the outs as i was coming in to um like my youth because uh, it was like very big in the 80s like late 80s and early 90s and so the adults still liked that song, but it was like not cool if you were in the youth group. <laughs> I remembered that one. I remember um, we sang a song called Yahweh, and it was like Yahweh, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> yes, I mean I don't know that song in particular, but that style of uh, like this weird melding of. Um, religious text and contemporary sound, which was really taking off in the late 90s and early 2000s was a big one. Yeah. So my my time in the church was, was limited and I think is kind of a, a different approach than I hear most people because I like chose to go. Like I don't really remember my parents ever being like, we have to go to church on Sundays, but I do remember mm. a period where I was like really into the Lutheran church that we went to. Oh, yeah. And I think it was mostly like the youth group, which was confirmation class to get confirmed. But I don't really remember learning anything um, technical. I mostly remember sitting with my friend's story and talking about how Jesus had nine abs on the cross. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then we took like a trip to Idaho. So um, was any of that your church experience? Um, no, but that's so interesting because, um, I mean, I think as you know, I spent the, well, at this point, since I'm 34, I spent the majority of my life in the church. I didn't get out of it until I was about 24. So, um, that period of time, specifically like the nineties and two thousands, um, early two thousands was very significant in, um, the like evangelical church as a as a like a national entity of getting youth into the church so your experience of like you choosing to go there because you had friends there and it was like the youth group experience that that brought you there not necessarily because of what was being taught was like the sole purpose so like they got you they got you yeah (laughs) 
no. Yeah, this whole movement of getting the youth was was uh, very very big. Um, which is why there's like this um, collective, I keep referring to it as this collective awakening in millennials right now of millennials who grew up in the evangelical church, because we're all kind of having this uh, collective, like what happened moment. Um, So my experience was um, very, very insular. Everyone that I knew went to church and went to the same type of church. Um, I grew up in very, um, Oh my gosh, the word, oh, Pentecostal churches, like speaking in tongues and that sort of thing. If you've seen Jesus Camp, that is exactly what my experience was. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So everyone I knew, and I also went to Christian schools, which meant that the teachers were not necessarily accredited. Actually, both of the schools that I went to were eventually shut down because the schools were not accredited. You know, I never had a science class, like that sort of thing. I had four years of public school and high school, and then I also went to an evangelical college for undergrad. Um, So it was very, very, I was totally inundated. (laughs) It was all encompassing. And like all of these people, your teachers included, you all ended up at the same church as well. So like you just kind of saw each other constantly? Uh, Not necessarily, but um, because in Salem, there are a lot of churches. Um, but uh, there was a, a, a good deal of crossover also. That's fast. I got got. I just can't get over that. You did. Yeah. Yeah. That was the whole, I mean, that was the whole thing. Actually, I was so, there's so much emphasis on um, missions, which is like where the evangelical term comes from. It's like evangelizing. That's what the whole thing is about. Um, and I was so, I've always been very introverted and, um, when I was younger was just so painfully shy and I hated that aspect that we were supposed to like go out and talk to strangers. I was not about that. So when I did have the opportunity to meet people who weren't in the church, which was in high school, when I went to a public high school, I still only made friends with other people who also went to church because I didn't want to have to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So it was like, and I told myself it was because I was shy or and those were just the people that I knew or whatever. But um, truly, truly, it was because I did not want to have to lie about not doing it. So I just avoided it by not interacting with anyone who didn't already go to church, which made it even more insular for me because I just didn't, I didn't engage with anyone else outside of that. I think people do that with a lot of things, not even just church. You know, it's like each time I come home, I'm like, oh my God, I'm around straight people. Like I Mm. I just (laughs) don't live that world in New York. Uh Uh-huh. And just like a microcosm of that. So like, I understand that just being like, well, if I can skip the explaining that I go to this church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only time that I, oh my God. Okay. So the only time that I did quote unquote, like witnessing, which is what it's called when you're like evangelizing, maybe, you know, that term, I don't know. I've only seen saved. That's all I got for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, in sixth grade, I wrote two letters, one to Jonathan Taylor Thomas I went to Leonardo DiCaprio and I wrote them on my pink stationery and I sprayed them with my sister's Victoria's Secret perfume, but I wrote about Jesus. And the only reason I did it was because my best friend Kendra at the time wrote to JTT and got back a signed (gasps) eight by 10 glossy 
in the mail. And so I was like, well, I want that, but I can't just like write a letter that's sinful. So I was like, okay, well, what if I write a letter about Jesus? So I did. And then I never got anything back. <laughs> oh no. KPT. Send her your glossy now. I know. <laughs> that was my one attempt at, at sharing the gospel with the world. <laughs> and you, you know, I like that you jumped from, I don't want to talk to other high schoolers to I'm going to reach out to celebrities. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go out and yeah. get these two big celebrities to join. And then I'm done because like, what are you yeah. going to say? <laughs> Exactly. That's all that I need. <laughs> um, so were you able to, I, I know a lot of people who like switch schools a lot when they're kids or especially that middle school to high school jump kind of have a little bit of a stutter step, but were you able to handle that well just because you stayed with your church people mostly? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, and I mean, the jump was huge. I went from schools that had 100 kids from kindergarten all the way through high school to a regular-sized high school that had 2,500 kids in it. So that was pretty um, shocking for my system. But, you know, I didn't have certain experiences that I think would have made it worse. Like, I didn't take the bus um, because I went to a school that was a little bit out of my district. So um I think that would have been a, a, a challenging experience for me. Um, and I did already know some people from church, which was helpful. Um, but then I, I also was so thrilled to be at a regular sized school that had um, music programs. So I like jumped f- head first into all of the vocal programs and everything and um, was just so excited to have something like that, that was challenging and everybody sounded amazing and um that really helped my transition a lot and also having um like actual academics <laughs> mm-hmm. um rather than just a bunch of bible classes um suddenly i was like oh my god there's like <laughs> so much for me to learn so i was pretty f- um i was a pretty focused student and i made friends in choir but otherwise i wasn't very social um yeah I did have one moment early on in my freshman year where I didn't have any friends yet who had the same lunch as me. And I had the moment of like not having anybody to sit with. And our school was built in a square. So the hallway went all the way around the school and the lunch area was like on one of those long hallways. And I was like, okay, well, the way that I can avoid not sitting by myself is to just keep walking in circles and I'll like eat as I walk. And I had these, I had bought these shoes that were like those kitten heels that everyone was really into in 2000. And they had like a plastic um, thing over the foot and they didn't have a, a back strap. It was very Cinderella. Um, and this horrible, horrible leopard print skirt. Um, and I, gotcha. when I was like walking, through, yeah, <laughs> uh, I was walking through the area where the lunch people were sitting and somebody had spilled like some Mountain Dew on the ground and I slipped and like I had this glow, glow in the dark purse that flew around and all of my stuff went everywhere. And it was, of course, like right in front of the table of the cool kids. And nobody helped me. Everyone just stared. And my skirt was like white and black leopard print and it was Mountain Dew. So the rest of the day it looked like I had peed my pants. 
So that was a special time. But you got your steps in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> wow. The having a different lunch period than your friends thing was so real. Ooh, yeah. Because it's just, I mean, it's for us, it was your whole year, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's just like, well, doesn't matter that you're friends with Joni. You're not going to eat with her for a year. I know. I was really grateful when I finally started getting established in like the theater area because that was always a place that you could go, you know? And so if you didn't have anywhere to eat or, or you felt like you were going to be eating alone, like I would sometimes just go into the dressing room and sit in there. Um, and then no one would know that I was alone. At our school too, it was like you would go over, we had like the arts wing and then there was even mm-hmm. like a more sequestered version for specifically theater but it it always felt like our own kind of private clubhouse yes yeah that for me kept me out of the stereotypical like these are the cool kids and these are like the jocks and this person's gonna Mm -hmm. be mean to like I was lucky enough to find that tribe super early yeah uh, which was great for me (laughs) Mm -hmm. did you start doing theater in high school or had you been doing it at your previous schools too well, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, we did do a dinner theater fiddler mm-hmm. on the roof uh, where I played Fruma Sarah in seventh grade. Um, Wait, so you did fiddler on the roof at your evangelical middle school? Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be sure. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. yeah, and we always had church plays, which were, let me tell you, Oscar winning scripts. Mm-hmm. Like the names of Go, 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 Jonah, about Jonah and the Whale, where I played the narrator. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I started doing theater in high school. Um, and that was my first experience doing anything where like anything was really expected of you. <laughs> oh, okay. So you you start singing, you're doing choir, you go. What did you study in college? Music performance. Yeah, vocal performance. Um, but again, I went to this evangelical school, which at the time, it, it doesn't say, they don't call themselves this anymore, which is good. But at the time, they called themselves a liberal arts school. And it's a it's an evangelical school in Portland, which is very bizarre. Um, yeah. And it's really tiny. There was only 600 students, I think. Um, and it's very... Uh, I mean, it's very Bible focused. There's a lot of like religion majors there, um, or at least there were then. And now it's more of like a trade school, I think. Um, But there hadn't really been any um, vocal performance majors, even though they offered it. So I was like developing the major with the music department as I was going along, which was not a very enjoyable experience. Yeah. You're like, I didn't want to um, start a college program. I yeah. just wanted to go to college. <laughs> I had some really, really amazing um, professors there who were very significant in my life and still are. But um, yeah, it was an interesting, uh, interesting experience. But I did do theater there as well. They had um, they didn't really have any theater. It wasn't a theater program. Um, like there weren't theater majors, but there was a theater where we did shows. Got it. <laughs> Um, you know, the same group of 10 people doing every single show, that kind of thing. Well, congrats to that school because your vocal prowess and the way that you know your instrument is still astounding to me. And I'm sure they had some sort of 
hand in that. Later on in life, uh, Danielle and I got to share share the stage together in a beautiful show called Band Geeks. And I was <laughs> just a tender 22 running around and hoping things worked. And I just remember standing next to you in a music rehearsal and being like, oh, I'm next to a real musician. Um, I should get my act together. <laughs> oh, man, I really um, appreciate that because I felt like I, I felt like you were the professional one because you had you had like left Oregon for New York already and you were, had like done I didn't know what theater works it was at the time mm-hmm. so I was like and he did like this touring show <laughs> now I know what theater works is but yeah. I, I mean it's still <laughs> not that it's any <laughs> less impressive but I was like wow um yeah <laughs> He performed in gym auditoriums across the (laughs) land for all the kids to see. (laughs) And then, uh, okay, so you do the evangelical thing. What brings you to grad Mm -hmm. school? How do you get out of Oregon? Um, Well, so one of the things that was really um, instrumental that did happen in my undergrad was that I studied abroad um, for a semester in Sydney, Australia. Um, and that was my first time being out of the country and um, sort of made me knew that I wanted to go um, out of the country for grad school just because it's it's expensive, but it's mm-hmm. it's like a bet it in my experience and my very humble opinion is an easier way of being abroad than traveling. It's like certainly less expensive than traveling because <laughs> you're living there. Um, so anyway, uh, after grad or after undergrad, um, it was 2008. It was a recession. There were no jobs available and I had a music degree, so there was nothing. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And, um, So I was just in Portland for a year and working at a hair salon at the front desk and um, just started looking around at like, and I had started auditioning in Portland, but I was very, very bad at it because I'd never really done a real audition. I'd only auditioned in my small college. With the same people you knew. With the same people. So it wasn't, you know, when you're doing that, you're not actually auditioning. You're just like you know, so I didn't know how to audition. Um, I still really don't know how to audition, but, um, but I was really discouraged and I didn't think that performing was going to be a route that I was going to be able to take. So I started looking at other, uh, directions with music and I found this program in Scotland, um, called music in the community, which was, um, studying music and social science and music and neuroscience, like how music affects the brain and how you can use that in community settings. So it was, it was in the vein of music therapy, but it wasn't clinically based. It was like community music programs. Um, so I went to go do that and I really, I don't know. I was just very drawn to Scotland. Um, and that was the only school that I applied to. And I was very, very lucky to be able to get in that program. Um, And unfortunately, the program doesn't exist anymore because I don't think there was a continued interest in it. Um, But yeah, that's how I got there. I mean, I feel like just describing using music to study like a scientific response in the community, like Mm -hmm. sums up a lot of you, like as an essence of you 
in a person. Oh. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I find it really, really fascinating. And at that time, that was in 2010. Um, well, I, uh, well, in 2009, I started the program. But that was when um, music and the brain was really starting to become a hard science. Um, because, you know, neuroscience is still very, very new. And um, musicians and just humans have known that music is healing for as long as music has existed, but um, it's just been difficult to like prove it on paper in a way. And that's starting to change um, with the new ways that we can look at the brain. And um, so we were sort of following in the footsteps of people like Oliver Sacks and um, people who have been doing this work for a very long time. And being and who are the at the forefront of like putting it on the map, um, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate that that program doesn't exist anymore. But um, I do think that we're starting to see more of that being implemented into the uh, the medical world. I hope anyway. Which you know could only help. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. why not? But yeah, that that like essence of using your art and your creativity to create change in your community, I think radiates off you as a person on your social media presence in the way that you go about just making things in the world. Um, I'm thinking specifically to your, I wouldn't say newfound, but newish to me, just like the clothes you're creating and the way you're creating them. Can you talk a little bit about your process there? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've only been sewing in earnest for a couple of years. Um, my mom used to make all of our clothes. So I, I was always around it when I was younger and when I was growing up. And she taught me the basics. Um, but I didn't really pick it up for myself until pretty recently. And it was actually in tandem with the coming out, kind of. And it provided me, I think, I think maybe part of why it feels the way it does to people looking on is that it is very connected to me coming out and it, it so it's hard for me to separate um it and have sewing be just like a a thing in and of itself um it feels it just feels very connected to lots of other things a reason a big reason that I'm drawn to it and I'm sure other queer people are drawn to it is a lot of coming out stems from like how am I going to fit into this society that I may not have a quite visible person or thing to put myself like set myself up to be like Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of that does come down to for a lot of queer people clothing and how that Mm -hmm. represents themselves and how different clothing on the binary makes people feel and then Mm -hmm. how that influences their queer identity and so for me I feel like every time you post something you've made I'm like I want seven of them I want them (laughs) so it definitely comes through in the things that you make yeah well and like clothing I mean as you just said has has always been sort of a queer identity marker in the modern world and um there's a a fashion history podcast that I love called Dressed, the History of Fashion. And they have several episodes about queerness and clothing. Um, and there would, I mean, 
in you know a century ago two centuries ago there would be very specific items of clothing small pieces um, or attachments that queer people would wear to identify themselves to each other so it's always been um, a marker to our like to each other to be able to signal in some way and now it's less about um, at least for those of us in New York City it's much less about signaling and secrecy, but like signaling in a very, in a much broader way, um, our queerness to the world. And um, I think for me, a lot of it has been, has helped me to, um, so, you know, I came out late in life, a late bloomer, mostly because of all of the church stuff. So, making my own clothes was a way for me to work through a lot of my internalized homophobia that I didn't even know was there until I started going through that process. Um, And it allows me to explore things in a way that's very different from like going to a store and buying something. Um, You know, like I get to pick every aspect of it and it's a very um, tender process and there's a lot of mistakes that are involved, which also felt like it was mirroring what was happening and what I was having to like forgive myself for in the process of coming out and all of that. So um, I think that it, for me, it has, uh, it signals uh, more than just like I am a queer person in the world and also like, signals to myself that it is a journey still. And I, even though I feel in some ways that like, oh, okay, I finally arrived. I still haven't, it's still a process. Um, and queerness is a process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, cause yeah, there's that initial coming out, mm-hmm. which has all of the weight in the world. And I hope for the for the children it has less and less weight as we continue with our lives yeah then there's the this is my mine was like I'm out then it was like a couple years of I'm gay but I'm not that gay and then Mm -hmm. it was okay so what what is my queer identity and what is Ryan Andrews queer outlook on the world and I think what I see in your clothes and the fact that you make it and you get to choose every single moment of it is you are saying this is this is Danielle's version of queer identity and it's uniquely yours and I think that that has to be therapeutic it's a it's a definitive step saying oh who you are yeah. who you are yeah absolutely and it's very interesting too because um <clears throat> so I, I mean it's been years since I've purchased clothing I am very mostly very intentional when I make something now because um, making clothing is way more expensive than buying clothing Um, so I just spend a lot more time thinking about what it is I want to present in the world and like what feels true to me and one of the things as I think is true for a lot of queer women or non-binary like AFAB people who come out there's this sort of push towards being towards androgyny and um because that is what we see as like a visible queerness like the 
androgynous thin white person. So I sort of went in that direction because I was like, well, this is, this feels good for right now. And I rejected a lot of the um, femininity that I had grown up with because it felt like that was something that had been imposed on me in some way or things that I had um, like cultivated because as like a survival skill and much of it didn't feel um, truthful anymore. And now several years later, I'm starting to reach back to those things, the, like those more femme aspects of clothing that I have rejected for many years (laughs) or not many years, but a few years because um, I just wanted to avoid anything from that past life. Like I needed to take a break from that. And now it's very, I'm finding it very interesting that I'm like um, interested in uh, dresses again and, you know, making myself lingerie and things like that I hadn't thought I would ever want to wear again. Um, and it's pretty cool to, (laughs) to, to watch that journey and also have those feelings of like, Oh, well is like, uh, if it feels a little bit conflicting because I'm in that place of trying to decipher if things um, feel true because they are true for me or because they were, because it's just familiar. So now that I've had a break from that, it's a little easier to have that conversation and it's very interesting. Yeah, it's like you're picking up this armor that served you for so long and protected you in some way. And you had to put it down for a while to be vulnerable and explore. And now it's like, okay, so which pieces of these do make me feel like myself mm-hmm. first and foremost? And then, so it's it's the the space to pick and choose. Yeah, I think is is fun on the on the journey that is queer life. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm still definitely in that place because, you know, it, I am still very new in my public journey with this. So I think I'm still in the place very much of wanting to signal to everyone that I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want them all to know. Um, <laughs> so part of me is like, oh, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to reach for that stuff because what if then someone doesn't know? And I am struggling with that and trying to tell myself, like, it's okay if they don't no like the second that they look at you (laughs) yeah it's okay but I'm just so uh honestly I'm just so um the last few years you know coming out and all of that um I'm so excited about that now I I feel like I still sort of feel like a teenager again um and I I'm just in that place of like I'm very excited about this and I want everybody to know that this is who I am um but I think I'm starting to get to a place where I can tone it down a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever you end up doing is beautiful. And <laughs> members of the family will always know. You could be in a full-on parka and they'd be like, I see you. <laughs> I know what's up under there. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've talked a bit about the church. We've talked about music and helping the community and creating clothes. And I have to ask you the question I asked all of my friends Um, on this podcast and that is why are you like this oh boy that is such a huge question um I don't know really how to answer that other than to say honestly I think that my biggest developmental factor has 
unfortunately been the church and it has sort of affected every single path that I've gone on since then. And um, the place that I'm at with it now, um, as opposed to, you know, the last 10 years of leaving um, is that I'm no, I'm not as angry about it anymore. So I can actually appreciate the fact that it is the way, the reason why I am the way I am now and why, you know, it's, it's the reason that I have the specific anxieties that I do. Um, but it's also, you know, it was my introduction into music, specifically choral music, which I love, um, you know, singing together, uh, and the idea that everyone can sing and it isn't, uh, just reserved for people who are quote unquote talented, um, which is a very beautiful thing about church that everyone in the room sings, um, which is not really something that you see anywhere else. And I think that's a very special thing that really affected me and um, pushed me to things like community music. But uh, yeah, I think that's, I, it's been in the last couple of years that I've really been able to see that the church is what really uh, formed me for better or for worse. And, um, you know, it's, it's the reason that I didn't come out until I was 32. Basically everything is <laughs> because okay. of the I mean, church. it was a huge portion of your life, but I also just from even just this conversation, like it's probably also a big reason why you have this like seeker quality of finding out more about how the music affects the brain or how creating these things with your hands can affect identity, how performing can be cathartic and make change, whether or not that came from being in the church or when you decided to leave, it definitely has like that spark in you. Yeah. Cause you know, I mostly think that the evangelical church is very negative um, in at large. I, I don't mean that to every individual person because that's, just not how that works but and my experience personally was very negative but that style of church is also very experiential and there is this element of like theater and emotional experience and physical experience I mean if like I said if anyone has seen Jesus camp or if anyone has been in that sort of like speaking in tongues thing it's it's I mean, it's the most intense, like, emotional experience I've ever been in. And I think that allowing of that kind of release, even if that is the only kind that you get, because that really is the only kind that you get in that environment, because you're not allowed to do anything else. (laughs) But having that experience and knowing that it is possible to have that kind of emotional connection to something or to someone I think was very, very influential. And luckily I had uh, later in life, adults in my life and educators who sort of guided me towards learning about connection and that kind of experience in other more healthy ways. But um, yeah, that was very influential for sure. Well, and a lot of that that group connection, Mm -hmm. I think we search for in everyday things. I mean, I 
again, only spent a couple, I got got and was in the, the pop culture uh, youth group, I guess, um, which I'll unpack <laughs> later. But other than that, my church time was limited. But as you speak about being in a room where someone's speaking in tongues and you're all collectively together, it's like, okay, that's this sounds like the high you get when you are singing choral music together, mm-hmm. you hear overtones, or mm-hmm. it's when the ensemble of a musical sings the opening number or mm-hmm. when you're working at a restaurant and the entire floor is just working the way it's supposed to mm-hmm. it's that like other thing that other mm-hmm. connectedness um that i think a lot of artists um search for their whole lives yeah it's just it's out of this world <laughs> yes out-of-this-world connection. Well, as we uh, wind down to the end here, I also asked my guests this, um, which is, do you have any questions for me? Um, oh, my God. I'm so <laughs> caught off guard. Um, yeah, well, I think I asked you this a little bit, but um, what brought you to this question? So it started, actually, as um, I was writing some, like, one-off sketch or something um about a like roommate who like is always saying that they're starting things but they don't and one of the things that he had in the docket was this podcast that he would just refer to and you find out that the podcast is called why are you like this and I just thought it was funny (laughs) because it's just a strange question that people aren't really asked Mm -hmm. in a open way it's usually like well why are you like that like, yeah. stop. Uh, so then I it took my core time and was like well why are we like this all we're doing a lot of all I'm seeing is a lot of yelling at each other as if the internet is not connected to another person and a lot of unwillingness to learn about others experience mostly from white America and just finding out what makes people what they are and why they're like that, I think is really interesting, especially at this time. So that was really the beginning of this nugget of a podcast idea because I just find it interesting. Like we just don't take into account what makes a whole human. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's literally everything. (laughs) Oh, yes. I think about that so much, especially in the last, um, well, in the last four years when I've seen a lot of um, conversation uh, with and just at the evangelical community. And I I don't want to, uh, like, stand up for them in any way, but there isn't, um, there hasn't been a lot of curiosity towards what is going on with those people and why, why they believe the things that they do and why they behave in the way that they do. Um, and that's been really frustrating as someone who has been on both sides of it. Um, because I do know exactly why they, (laughs) why they are acting the way that they are. Um, and it's so I have a lot of compassion for them, even in the midst of 
you know, the way that they, uh, the way that many of them vote and behave. Um, but it has been frustrating that there isn't a lot of asking of that question in a really genuine way, as you said. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like you can, the thing that you're mad at isn't the people in it. It's yeah, the exactly. That exists mm-hmm. And yep. the way that it has been able to become from your experience, a negative space in the world. Mm-hmm. It's less about the people who maybe just lived down the street from an evangelical church and like grandma always went. So I always go. Yep, exactly. It's just, you know, just trying to find ways for people to continue to be curious about each other. I think yeah. it's really important. It's really important. Move on and hopefully start to get back outside, you know, see things. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining me. Where can the children find you? (laughs) Um, My Instagram is uh, just my name with a period in the middle. So it's danielle.purdy, all lowercase. I would tell you my website, but it's not updated. So don't go there. Don't look at it. (laughs) You got nothing but time. Well, awesome. I cannot wait to see what you continue to create. I cannot wait to see you again in real time. Uh, Thank you so, so much for this wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Ryan. All right. Until next time, y'all. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 